0: Christ community uh, holds so many things near and dear to our hearts, and uh, it's been a joy to see what God has done over uh, the, the last several years. But uh, one of the things that's been constant, one of the things that's uh, uh, helped us to worship God and to glorify God is uh, telling the story of what God does, um, not only in the life of our church, but in our personal lives. And... Um, Typically, the person that, that comes and shares their story as a Christ Community Church member today uh, is fun for me, and I hope that it's uh, good for you because uh, we get to give a big old Christ Community Church welcome to the fourth killer bee. Uh, there's four of us lawyer boys, Braden. So, Braden, welcome officially. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, there are how many years difference between you and I? Nine. Nine, use your mic. Come on, you know better. Man, that's big brother speak right there. We had this weird realization this weekend as we were hanging out that when I left for college, he was about the age of Tenley, uh, my oldest, and that was just weird. So I've missed a lot of your life, Brayden, but I love you like a brother. (laughs) Just kidding. So, um, Brayden has a really unique story, and uh, I love the big pieces of it, but there's also a fun, we talked about this over the weekend, there's a fun because as he shares today, um, I also missed a lot of those years, and so I get to be with you and see how the Lord's worked in his life. But um, start off by just telling us about how your relationship with, with Jesus started, and, and how you would describe that walk with him in the early days of being a Christian.
1: Absolutely. So, I, I was like Blake. Uh, we grew up in the church, uh, Odin Christian Church in a small little town, and so that's kind of the walk that I've always led, you know, following my parents' strong lead, following the lead from my older brothers. Um, you know, I've always grew up in a Christian family, and so I knew that that's where I was supposed to be, and so I, I led by example, or uh, followed someone else's lead. Um, but really, uh, my own walk with faith, I think, started at different phases because of whenever I started to go through some trials and things like that, um, which is kind of what we're talking about today a little bit, but really I always knew that this was my life and that's what I believed, but I didn't learn until later why I believed it. Okay, that's good, that's good. Um,
0: Yeah, so I'm gone, you're in high school, and I, I get this call from mom that says, hey, you need to pray for Brayden, he's collapsed on a basketball court and we're not sure what's next. So take us through what happened that day on the court and and the emotions and the experience that follows.
1: Absolutely, so it was December 27th, 2012, I believe. It would have been 2011, I guess, because 2012 was when all the surgeries happened. Um, We had just been down to visit Blake. We went and played some basketball. I think I won. Um, Man. So Little brothers, who needs them? Yeah. <laughs>
0: you can go back to Indiana. So we, Thank uh, you. Thank, no, I'm just kidding. Okay.
1: Yeah. It's been great. Uh, so, yeah, I was at basketball practice. We were about 10 minutes in. Uh, I won't bore you with too many details, but I do remember, again, I'll make the same joke. I actually did make my last shot, but I remember I made the <laughs> shot, um, and then I just kind of went over to the side, and we were just doing, you know, warm-up, shoot-arounds, that kind of thing, and I, I hunched over, and my chest felt really tight. Um, and I couldn't... Discern separate heartbeats. It just felt like my heart was beating all at once. And I heard one coach say, "Hey, lawyer, are you okay?" And I looked up at him. And cliche, I said, "No," and then hit the floor. Um, woke up. Next thing I knew, uh, there were people yelling, "You know, call nine one one. Find the defibrillator. What's going on?" Uh, one of my teammates. People still make fun of him to this day. Uh, he was one of my good buddies too. Uh, he thought he was uh, EMT or something, I guess, because he was sitting there trying to take off my shoes. And nobody knows why he was trying to steal my shoes. (laughs) In your mind, in his mind, you were just already gone. He just wanted the shoes. I guess he just wanted my shoes. So he's trying to take off my shoes. And uh, so the the EMTs get there. And one of our other brothers, Brant, was, uh, so I was a sophomore at the time. Uh, No, I was, yeah, I was a sophomore at the time. uh, And he was a junior or senior. And... uh, He was at practice as well. He was over on the varsity side and I was on the JV side. And he said he looked over and he saw the coaches all holding me uh, as they were trying to pick me up off the ground. And he thought I had gotten into a fight. Which, (laughs) I don't know what that says about me, but he thought I had gotten into a fight. Um, And then he realized that I was completely limp. Hmm. And uh, at that time, he uh, ran to the locker room and he was the one calling our parents saying, you know, "Something's, something's bad, something's going on. Uh, And the real trial for our family that day was our parents were actually on their way home from a different appointment. Uh, My mom had had breast cancer immediately prior to this uh, period, and they were on their way home from a final meeting with an oncologist where that morning my mom had been declared cancer free. And on the way home, that's when they get that call. They don't even get to go home first. They come straight from one doctor's appointment, pick me up, and run me to the ER. Um, So that was kind of a big trial for us that day. And as far as emotions that day, it was uh, just overwhelmed. I had no clue what was happening that day. I mean, I was a 16-year-old kid that was okay at basketball. And so I was sitting there, basketball practice, just was shocked and overwhelmed just kind of what was going on.
0: Yeah. So uh, he's way smarter than I am. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, like, what I medically, from my perspective, and you can just Okay. Not correct me too much, and I'll try right. to put it in normal people's <laughs> terms, okay? So um, you ended up having this rare condition, Wolf-Parkinson-White, where your heart raced, and you had extra electrical activity in your heart. And the doctors said, okay, there's a there's a surgery. We go in. We freeze these extra pathways.
1: <laughs> you're, you're right. You're right. You're right.
0: And we, we, we freeze those pathways so that they don't send your heart into this racing stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the long story short, right, is they try that, they find numerous pathways, which is super mm-hmm. rare, they, your heart is so healthy and strong that they can't get them to freeze and stay frozen, for lack of a better term. And, um, and they tell us that, they, they give us some crazy options, right? Is mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, like you said, had all these extra pathways, and essentially what that does with those extra pathways is your heart doesn't know um, which pathway to take when it tries to shock. It wants to go straight from top to bottom, more or less, and mine was trying to take six different routes. And so what that meant is sometimes it was taking a route that made my heart beat at 20 beats a minute, which is way too slow, and sometimes it was taking a route that made my heart beat at 300 times a minute. Um, which is why I went down to basketball practice. My heart was going too fast. Mm -hmm. Um, So then they, like you said, they gave us some crazy options. You know, I had uh, three surgeries. I had to wait a month between each one. So I believe it was February, March, April were my three surgeries. Um, And then they gave us, uh, you know, some choices before the surgeries. And it was was pretty overwhelming at this point, Uh, a lot of fear, a lot of anger. Because I remember before each surgery, I would have doctors come into the room and they would sit with me and my parents and they would give me a piece of paper and say we need you to sign right here and this says you might not wake up and if you don't it's not our fault Uh, when you're 16 it's not real fun to make that signature Um, but essentially what they were telling us was this is a pretty routine surgery I remember actually before my first surgery the doctor came back out and said I've been doing this for 40 years and I just had the best one I've ever had this morning it usually takes me about four hours I just finished in 30 minutes it was great she's great I met this girl the next morning after my surgery went terribly wrong, uh, and she was doing great, and I wasn't. Mm. But um, they uh, they said, you know, ninety eight percent chance you walk out of here. No, normal sixteen year old never know anything happened, anything different. Go back to basketball in two weeks. One percent chance you end up with a pacemaker just to make sure everything ticks okay, and a one percent chance you won't wake up from this surgery. Signed the piece of paper let it go. So then essentially on the third surgery what happened was uh, they realized that some more things went wrong in their process of trying to fix everything and they had removed all electrical pathways including the one electrical pathway that you're supposed to have. So I was left with zero heart function meaning that they had to install a pacemaker that shocks both the top and the bottom of my heart so that every single beat I have and still have to this day is produced by a battery. And so that's that's kind of how that all ended up working out, so they always joke that you know ninety eight percent chance I'm fine, one percent chance pacemaker, one percent chance dying at least I got the good one percent
0: there you go, there you go, and now we just call them statistic, yeah. so no, it's good so um, i know I know what going through those things was from my vantage point, but I'm not you. Mm-hmm. And as we go through this series, It Doesn't Seem Like Love, I wanted you to tell your story because I think you have so much to teach us because of what the Lord's taught you. So what did suffering teach you about your relationship with Jesus? You you told us a little bit, like, yeah, we had this a great home to grow up in and to learn to
1: follow Christ. What did suffering teach you that that couldn't? Absolutely. I think a lot of it was just kind of a, it's a how to handle fear, how to handle anxiety, and a lot of, you know, who's really in control. Uh, Really, where I'm at now, kind of to backtrack a little bit, is I still go into a yearly appointment every year. Um, They just check, essentially, now to make sure that the pacemaker is still running the way it's supposed to. And they do this thing where they they take something that looks like a a computer mouse, and they lay it on my chest, and then that thing has full control of my heart. And I always tell mom and dad whenever we go, because I'm 24, and they still go with me every year, because they like to see it too. Um, It it makes me so angry whenever they do it, because Mm -hmm. what they do is they lay me down and then this doctor has a computer monitor which they let me play with now too that I can you know a little a little bit know what they're talking about and they can sit there and they ramp my heart rate way up and way down and they just play with my heart rate like crazy and it makes me dizzy because it's you know my heart rate's going from a couple hundred to real low and doing all these weird things and then sometimes they stop it just to make sure it'll restart and that kind of thing um, <laughs> you know just a usual Tuesday um, <laughs> but they do all these kind of things and it really I always tell mom and dad that I don't like it, and they say, you know, what bothers you about it? And I always tell them I'm not in control. And, you know, I guess I'm a 24-year-old guy. I want to be in control of my own life, but uh, that's what bugs me about it is I'm not in control. And I think that's kind of the big realization I had, even with my walk in faith throughout this entire process is I had no control over any of this. You know, I I can be as scared or as angry as I want to be but I'm not the one that's making these decisions, and it's mm. not the doctors that are making these decisions. It's, you know, it's God that's, that's choosing my path right now, and no matter what, it's kind of what he wanted was what happened.
0: Yeah. That's good. We can go home now. No, just... So last question. You go through that. The Lord teaches you this idea that he's in control, and you've got all these emotions that you still have to deal with, but bring that down to, like, your everyday life. How do you value life differently after essentially not being alive? Like, there's been times where you've not been alive. Your heart's not been beating. Right. How does it affect the way that you live and make
1: decisions and, and just experience life? Right. I think a lot of the, the transition didn't even happen as much after the final surgery. It was just after the initial, uh, after the initial incident on that December 27th. Uh, Because when I went to the emergency room that day, uh, luckily, just at a small local hospital, they diagnosed me right the very first day, and they said, okay, no more physical activity. And that was saying that to a 16-year-old that played three sports, and they said physical activity is anything that gets your heart rate up. So you can exclusively walk. They're like, if you're running late to class, be late to class. You need to come home from class. You can't do farm work. Uh, So sit on the couch every day. So I had to let my older brothers do everything. All my responsibilities sounds and terrible. It was the worst, yeah. But I, I couldn't. I thought do all this is about suffering. Well, it was even to the extent of uh, I was in band and choir, and in choir class, I was the only person that wasn't allowed to stand up. I was a drummer in band, so they said, uh, "No, <laughs> you can't play the drums. That's gonna get your heart rate up." Hmm. So I just I sat. I talked to the band and choir teachers, and I spent the next six months because it took that long with all the processes and things. I every day during those classes instead of getting to sit in on class I would go to a computer lab and I worked on composition so I gotta do some interesting things but I didn't even get to participate in those daily activities and so I think it was just learning um, kind of through that that turmoil just that that was just kind of a reality for me at that point and moving forward from there um, and realizing you know I was kind of angry at the time uh, getting through that anger of you know this is my situation and understanding that it's not necessarily negative. Like I said, I, I without even thinking about it, drew, drew, a positive to it. I really enjoyed the process of going and getting to do the composing, that kind of thing. Uh, I did draw closer to my brother, Brant, who is uh, the only brother that wasn't in college at that. That's amazing. Time.
0: That's a work of the Lord
1: right there. Yeah. I'm just here to tell you. Hey, he's got a lot of energy <laughs> still. <laughs> he's a character, but no, it drew me really close to him because, um, you know he became a little bit protective of his little brother Um, and really it was a it was an interesting process because it it really kind of directed the way I think in a lot of ways because it allowed me to think about what's what's really important to me Um, because you know you start to realize whenever you're signing pieces of paper that say you might not wake up that nothing's really ever a promise you know tomorrow's not a guarantee Uh, so you look to see kind of where you prioritize things and that's what I really started to do and I started to try to do it at 16 which your priorities when you're 16, you know, some things change a little bit. I get that. But, you know, I tried to had I kind of had to try to make some adult decisions really early on and I felt like I had to grow up really fast during that 6-month stretch and learn to prioritize and see what's important to me so that I knew the direct things that I wanted to go to and that's things like my faith, my family, my career outlook and things like that and kind of what order I wanted to put those things in and know that that's where I wanted to go. So, you know, when I'm making major career decisions, when I'm making educational decisions, I don't think career first. I don't think that kind of thing first. I think what matters to me and then I make those decisions based around those things. And I think that's something that I've kind of learned to do since that period of time. It's mm, awesome.
0: Well, Braden, I just want to say thank you and um, I want to affirm you in that um, the Lord has used you, uh, to teach many, not just today, but throughout your time going through this, um, because you chose to draw near to the Lord in those hard times. And, um, um, I'm so thankful for you and I'm, uh, um, I'm thankful that you're alive. Me too. (laughs) And, uh, and, um, and so I just want to, uh, appreciate you for taking the time to come down this weekend and share with us and, um, I want to pray for you as we, as we continue on in our day. God, thank you for uh, how you create us. Uh, thank you even when we don't understand and we're angry at the story, for the story that you're writing. And Father, I just pray that you would give us the courage that um, you gave to Braden and, and worked out in his life as he sought you in the toughest of times. God, we thank you for life. And We thank you for the life that you've given to him. We thank you for the new life that you've given to him in Christ. We pray, God, that you continue to use him in many ways to uh, inspire others to live their life fully devoted to Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.